Squeak? It's the best forgotten movie! Hello and welcome back to Best Forgotten Movies, the podcast all about the films that time forgot. I'm Gareth Green and joining me as always is my full-time co-host and part-time crusty seaman, Andrew Phillips. Arr, the name be Seaman Stains. <laughs> Does that make me Master Bates? <laughs> and for today's episode, we watched a murderous Meccano set go rogue on an abandoned Russian ship in John Bruno's Virus. But does this film sink or swim? Find out after the trailer. It has travelled across time and space. An energy force unlike any in the universe. It is powerful. Intelligent. And it has found the perfect planet to inhabit. I'm picking up a contact. 12 miles out. Speed, zero knots. It's dead in the water, but it's big. It's really big. Oi! Is there anyone aboard? I don't get it. I mean, we got a Russian vessel, middle of nowhere, dead in the water, crew vanished. I mean, why the hell would they abandon ship, huh? You hear that? We don't find any dead bodies. We got somebody else on board. Repeat. We got somebody else on board. That's who sank the tug. Drop it. Eight days ago, during a transmission from the Mir space station, something came onto the ship. I took control of computers. He was learning. Learning what? How to kill us. Somebody welded the engine room door shut. What is it? High-tech robotics. Get back! Now, in order to survive... It's creating a new life form. What? It wants us for spare parts. It must destroy the one threat... Oh, my God. ...to its existence. I'm gonna die! The virus called man. What's wrong with you? Nothing now. Jamie Lee Curtis is not Lieutenant Ellen Ripley in Not James Cameron's Aliens, a film about killer robot aliens aboard a Russian military vessel lost at sea. William Baldwin co-stars as Not the Good Baldwin, while Donald Sutherland provides a half-assed turn as the film's antagonist, Not Donald Sutherland. <laughs> John Bruno's virus follows the crew of an American tugboat, who attempt to salvage an abandoned Russian research vessel during a wild storm. However, they soon find the ship is not quite as empty as they hoped. So begins this sci-fi tale, to the despair of audiences everywhere. <laughs> now, Virus is a film that I actually nominated for this week's episode, so mm -hmm. I imagine you're asking yourself, why? Yeah. And um, <laughs> I thought I'd just uh, give a little bit of a reason. Virus actually came out around the same time as Deep Rising and The Relic and a whole host of other like 90s Aliens rip-offs, or the Terminate rip-offs. Everything was riding the coattails of James Cameron. And I was very much on board for all of that. So I unashamedly loved this film as a kid. I think it was about 13 years old when it came out. And I even had the graphic novel and I read it cover yeah, to cover yeah. many times. It used to just live in our bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I, I loved Virus. I didn't see it for a great many years <laughs> after that. Mm. And um, I came back to it very recently and rewatched it again. It was like watching a different film. It was a different mindset, you know? <laughs> Suddenly I can see all the flaws in it. It wasn't quite as good as I remembered. And, um, and then I came to know that Jamie Lee Curtis thought very similarly and said it actually described the film as being a piece of shit. Yeah. But... I don't know. I'm still quite fond of this piece of shit. Yeah. 
and, uh, and I really wanted to come back to it and just uh, kind of throw it out there again because it has been forgotten almost completely. I had to actually order this Blu-ray from Germany in order to re- watch it. Yeah, yeah, and there's not much on the film when you look it up online. It's uh, I don't think anyone's even really done a YouTube video on it. It's it's really um, just dropped right under the radar. Yeah, completely, and. Uh, you can't even find out what happened with the production, really. There's not much out there for making of histories or anything yeah, like that, so yeah. we don't actually have that much information yeah. on the making of the film. Yeah, but, it's, um, re- it's really lost at sea. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, um, but Andy, this is uh, your first time with virus, as far as I know, so can... Um, yeah, just to reiterate, I don't have a virus. <laughs> so, But yeah, it was the first time I saw it. I'd heard you talk about it yeah. a while back, actually, and showed me the, the Blu-ray cover, which looked interesting. Oddly enough, the cover on the Blu-ray, for me, doesn't represent the film at all. No. I thought it was a completely different kind of film. I thought it was set in space. I didn't realise it was set on the sea in yeah, a boat. The picture on the box makes it look like you're about to watch Supernova, Yeah, that other famous kind of like big sci-fi bomb. Yeah, But it's not. It's It's a much more kind of... I mean, it is like Aliens a little bit, but it's more like the Terminator and Robocop and that kind of 80s action film. It's more of a techno thriller than yeah, it is it like is, a yeah. grand sci-fi film. It's kind of a techno thriller mixed with uh, body horror. Yeah, it's definitely well. got that element of yeah. it going for it. So you haven't actually watched this film before now? No, never. It's your first time. Wow. <sighs> <laughs> and what an experience I imagine yeah. that was. I mean, I was quite pleasantly surprised, to be honest, because um, when you see what the ratings and everything like, I kind of felt that it was a bit... Uh, I thought it was kicked when it was down yeah. a little bit. It, I, I didn't feel it deserved the kind of scathing reviews that it actually got. I mean, it's by no means a, a good film, but it's got a lot going for it in certain areas, much more so than actually some of its other films that were around at the time, especially special effects-wise. It's just... Uh, head and shoulders above quite a lot of its contemporaries at the time yeah i mean this film was released not even a year after deep rising came Mm. out which is a stephen sommers film yeah before he did the mummy yeah yeah (laughs) both films although tonally completely different and have almost different villains they're essentially have got the same premise yeah which is a ragtag group of individuals come across a abandoned boat and find that there are monsters on board. Yeah. That's essentially the story to both films. But, yeah, I mean, they're tonally completely different, but I think I I am slightly falling on the side of Virus, I would say. Yeah, I think Deep Rising's got a more Poseidon adventure yeah. angle to it as well. With that, It's got a real high level of campiness, which, um, when you consider Stephen Summers' other films, I'm not sure whether that's intentional or not. No, I it's, think he's uh, actually for Stephen Summers. He's trying to make a serious film, but he's so shit that it just comes off as corny. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think he's trying to go for that Indiana Jones vibe that he tried to nail with the Mummy film, or at yeah. least the first Mummy film, which he does kind of just about make it with that yeah. first Mummy film. But but then they cast Treat Williams. But then they cast Treat Williams in Deep Rising. <laughs> But yeah, it's definitely a much goofier film. Uh, yeah. Virus is a goofy film as well. It's, be- yeah, it's because I mean, it plays it a lot straighter. They're both films that have very odd casting choices. Yes. With Deep Rising, you get Treat Williams. And with this film, you get Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea why she's in this film. I have no idea why she did this film. Not in that time of her career as well, no. because I'm sure Halloween H2O wasn't too far off that. And what an awful title for a Halloween film yeah. as well, H2O. Yeah. That Halloween film was around about the same time. S- and I thought similar her time. career was on the rise again at that point. Yeah, and she was doing other films like around that time she did Taylor of Panama and stuff like that. So I don't know why she would want to do a film like this. Yeah, it does seem like a backward step, really, for... Jamie yeah. Curtis as well. I mean, I know she is the original final girl. Yeah. And Ripley is another fantastic example of the final girl as well. But it's definitely kind of a step in the wrong direction. Yeah, because at this stage in her career, she was, well, she was known a lot for doing True Lies. Yes. But, I mean, I remember her more for stuff like Fish Called Wonder and stuff yeah. like that, really. That's kind of more her area, I'd say. Things like that in Trading Places and just the more light side whereas her going to do this 
sci-fi techno horror film. Yeah. At this stage in her career when she was probably, you know, well into her 40s. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a weird thing. I mean, um, yeah, it's like clawing back at the past. I mean, I know that we still get male actors that do that with the likes of um, Liam Neeson and his action career pretty much took off in his 50s and late, well, late 40s to 50s, I'd say, roundabout. Yeah. I know Bruce Willis as well is also trying to still maintain some kind of degree of action hero status, but has been relegated to director DVD <laughs> efforts. Yeah. So I do get the idea of them trying to look back at where they've come from and grabbing at that and no one's going to stop the likes of jamie lee curtis from doing that but you can't help but think that that's the wrong direction for their career in a lot of ways it didn't really matter for this film because halfway through the film i forgot that she was even in it yeah (laughs) (laughs) because she uh she just gets completely lost in the whole madness of it all especially when it gets a bit more crazy in the second half Mm -hmm. i I imagine all her lines on the script simply had Jamie Lee Curtis screams. I mean... Because that's all she does for, like, the, the last act of the film. Well, she has no character. No. There's no character there at all. I mean, even some of the other supporting roles have a little bit more to them. Yeah. I mean, I would never accuse this film of being a great character piece. But, uh... <laughs> apart from maybe Donald Sutherland. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... I've never seen a film where the supporting characters are more memorable than the lead characters. Because I remember all the supporting characters. Yeah, I still remember the names, but I actually... And the antagonist. Yeah. But the two leads... Bleh. No, I can't, like, I can't even remember Jamie the Jamie Lee Curtis and... Is it William Baldwin? Yes. The bland Baldwin. <laughs> yeah. Well, the only Baldwin worth talking about is Alec Baldwin. But yeah. He looks like Alec Baldwin a little bit, but with none of the personality. Yeah, on the poster, they've actually... Well, on one of the posters... Well, they've used Alec Baldwin's face. Well, no, they <laughs> photoshopped William Baldwin to look more like Alec Baldwin, yeah. so they've made his face that little bit wider, you know? <laughs> so, so it's not Alec Baldwin in this film. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. It would have been good to have him in this, actually. It Definitely. It would have been a lot more fun. <laughs> but, um, yeah, those two characters just get completely lost in the madness. And, and I can't help but think that we follow the wrong protagonist in this film as well i feel like the film should have been about the russian lady oh yeah who's found up on the boat but we'll get to that in a moment i just want to provide some context as to uh when this film was made and to like how it actually got made there isn't much out there that we can really say not really no because there's uh not all that that's interesting about the production of the film but there is just one tidbit that i want to put out there the film was actually wrote in the early 90s by chuck farrar but unfortunately the uh, special effects weren't up to standards in order to realize what that script had so he sold off the story in the script to dark horse comics yeah who then turned it into a comic book and that's what i had and uh, i used to read it back to front and uh, i loved it a lot back when i was mm. like 13 years old then the film came out in the late 90s. Obviously, special effects caught up. I imagine Jurassic Park came out, Terminator 2 came out, and the CGI got better, and suddenly people started to realise, oh, actually, we're starting to catch up now. We can we can realise yeah, this yeah. within budget. And Gail Ann Hurd jumped on as a producer, who yeah. is known for The Terminator. John Bruno jumped on as director, who is one of james cameron's go-to guys in terms of special effects so they're very much chasing that james cameron the terminator aliens type vibe that the script is obviously going for and then universal eventually pumped up the money to make the film yeah i mean with john bruno as well he was in the midst of preparing the effects for titanic then got the offer to direct this film and passed on doing titanic in order to do this God knows what he thinks about that now. <laughs> I imagine but, um, it's a decision he very much regrets yeah. in retrospect. But I can definitely see why Yeah, uh, at the time. Because, yeah, you can get in your first film and it's a big budget effects film. Why mm-hmm. not? I mean, I know we're going to talk about budgets and box office later on, but it wasn't a small budget either. It was a rather large budgeted film. And he was placed at the helm. This was his first film, his debut. Yeah. You're yeah. not going to, it's not something that you'll turn your nose at. No, not at all. But yeah, I imagine that he has other things to think about it now, looking back. Because, um, unfortunately, regardless of what we think of the film, critics weren't too kind. No. There's other mysteries, like, I have no idea why Donald Sutherland did this film. This is at the time of Donald Sutherland's career, where he was doing films like 
backdraft as well, where he was trying to do his best Hannibal Lecter impression, which is another hilarious turn for Donald Sutherland. Yeah. Also a film that stars William Baldwin as well, backdraft. So this is yeah. almost... They're reunited on screen, finally. <laughs> wow. Finally, somebody gave them the screen time <laughs> together once more. Yeah. That's what audiences wanted to see. Although, again, you can see why he would be in this film when you look at, say, some of the other films he's done with, like, Don't Look Now and yeah. Invasion of the Body Snatchers and things like that. You can see maybe why it's it's part of that. Yeah, he's no stranger genre, to really. sci-fi yeah. and to thrillers. But even so, somebody should have read the script for this. <laughs> and gone, um, probably needs a couple more drafts. Yeah, well, just, maybe more than a couple. Just, just a few. Yeah. I mean, uh, how many did they need? They wrote a script, they made a comic book, then they wrote a script again. How many drafts did this go through? Because the weakest point of this film for me is the script. And it's not even as if the script is really bad. It's just not really good either it sits in that middle ground yeah of not being hilariously bad and not being particularly great either yeah i think that's the problem it's um it can't be enjoyed in a so bad it's good way in that kind of hipster ironic way i love those hipsters <laughs> i've got but, my vhs machine right now <laughs> and i'm steadily growing my beard oh you're on vhs i'm on betamax man yeah <laughs> but it, it can't be enjoyed that way because it's not quite that bad. It's not really yeah, yeah. all that campy. I mean, there are a couple of elements, there are a f- couple of moments in the film that do make me laugh and a couple of lines here and there that, <laughs> as we go on, I will tell you about. Mm. But, yeah, by and large, it's not really that kind of script. But at the same time, it's not memorable enough either. There's no. nothing that really sticks out. Yeah, I'd say anything that makes this film memorable is really in the filmmaking yeah, I actually wrote in my notes halfway through the film that I think this film should be renamed Placeholder Dialogue, the movie. Because <laughs> all the dialogue is placeholder dialogue. It's dialogue you would see in Roger Ebert's combination book of screen dialogue or screen it, cliches. It really is. It's it, Placeholder dialogue is the type of dialogue you write in when you can't think of something good enough to say at the time. And you yeah. think, that'll do. I'll change it later. Yeah. And this film is just made up of that dialogue. Yeah. It's the all whole script is that will do. <laughs> yeah. Focus on the effects. The rest of it, yeah, the script is fine. Yeah, it's all cliches and tropes, really. Yeah. There's no line that really gets away with it. No. I must also add that the script is co-wrote by a Dennis Feldman, so Chuck Farrar isn't the um, only one to blame, really. Yeah. Is this one of the ones where it's credited to Chuck Farrar, but he didn't write the final version of the script? Well, I think think it probably got a one final rewrite before it mm. kind of went into production yeah that could have been from someone else that could have been from that dennis feldman yeah but chuck farrar is where this film originates with yeah he's credited as creator mm. as well although looking at his credits it's not like he's known for high art anyway no you find his name behind such classics as navy seals yeah well so, it's called chuck yeah so anybody who credits themselves as chuck or chad or skip yeah of the woods variety <laughs> um doesn't really hold you in much confidence of their um abilities to ascend into high art really it's very much like hey i'm chuck and larry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my friend davy and gordo Gordo. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, you're not really uh, in that area, are you really? No, no. Yeah, but going back to the film, so as I mentioned earlier, this is actually about a Russian military vessel that has been abandoned at sea. Yes. And being taken over by this alien electrical virus that has kind of taken over the ship and killed everybody on board. Yeah, yeah. And is now creating these kind of mechanical fleshy nightmares out of the spare parts that are hanging around and when i say spare parts i mean the dead crew members as well yeah yeah and uh it's a cool little premise even though it doesn't make much sense really (laughs) it doesn't even make much sense in terms of that particular boat because i remember when they when they find the boat and she finds what the boat actually is she finds what it is instantly yeah she just opens the book at the the page (laughs) Like in and, my and there's an exact in my picture of that book boat. Of, <laughs> my Osborne book of boats that are around at the moment. <laughs> like this somebody literally asks boat. which boat it is. Like within seconds, she's got the book open yeah, at that page, and it's a top secret boat. And <laughs> also, why would it be in a fucking book? <laughs> but 
she's reading off all this stuff about how it's a scientific vessel and it's designed to contact Mir, the space station Mir and other satellites and stuff like that. But then she randomly off the cuff mentions it's got advanced robotics in it. And I'm like, where is a need for an advanced robotics lab on a boat that's to do with satellite surveillance? How does that fit into their plan? Yeah, it looks like they've got all the kind of facilities on board to build cars. Yeah. I know. (laughs) There's a lot of movie magic in terms of stretching the believability. Was it me or did the interior of the boat look much bigger than the exterior of the boat? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's got these um, kind of just giant rooms in there as well. Uh, (laughs) And it's quite a modestly sized boat as well. It's not like a huge aircraft carrier style thing it's literally just a boat i did read one piece of trivia about that boat as well which was when they bought it and they put it in the hudson river they actually left it in there for too long and the whole thing rusted over so they only had really enough money to paint one side side, of the boat yeah and they just shot it from that side all the way through the film apparently the boat at the moment about three or four years ago they sunk the boat off key west and it now serves as a artificial reef, and apparently, it still had the same Russian name on the side of it that they used in the film. Oh, really? Yeah, and I think it was literally about three or four years ago that they sunk it. That's what happened to that boat. But yeah, I think they literally just painted one side or two thirds of it what they needed to film anyway. Yeah, and <laughs> knowing that, watching the film back as well, you do you, you can see that that they've obviously hidden one side of the boat. You do only see it from the same angles every time. But one of the things as well about the film that really stretches believability is and this is a film full of things that stretch believability. <laughs> but this is supposed to be about an alien virus. Yeah. That gets transmitted to this boat from the Mir space station. And instead of doing what a virus would do, it kills everybody on board the ship and starts building these fleshy robots. What need does it have of these actual robots? Why doesn't it just hide in the computer system, wait until the dock reaches a port, and then take over the world? Just escape into the internet? There's shitload of satellites on the top of the boat so what's stopping it from transmitting itself to somewhere else yeah there was something as well (laughs) there was something said earlier that the last remaining survivors sabotaged the electrical equipment so that it couldn't transmit itself off the boat but yet the characters in the film repair some of that equipment and start transmitting a mayday signal which is then received why can't it just transmit itself through that somehow they, they, they repair enough equipment that they can do that why can't they even just why can't this virus escape and they never really go into what happened to Mir as well because it's already gone through Mir and the reason that it ended up being on the boat is because there was a signal transmission that was like a timed thing that, yeah that goes down at a certain point and there's like a, a countdown to when it goes and then the transmission opens and then it beams itself down to the ship which where all the problems begin yeah but there's surely not just one place that's contacting Mir, that whole part of the plot just yeah, is <laughs> forgotten about really quickly. Uh, it's it's a real movie plot, isn't it? I mean, I, I can forgive it that in the same way that I do forgive Skynet and the Terminator for being as kind of dumb as it is at times. Yeah, you know, everybody yeah. always mentions, oh, why doesn't it send the Terminator back to kill Sarah Connor's great-grandparents or something like that, which is perfectly logical. Mm. But if that happened, we wouldn't have the film. No. And although Virus isn't a great film that really justifies this kind of movie logic, I'm still glad it exists. Oh yeah, I, definitely. I still have a lot of fun with this film, and it's, it is really hated. I don't understand why, because it's not as if it's any worse than, again, some of the films that are around it at the time. Yeah. Like I said, I enjoy it a lot more than Deep Rising. Yeah, I mean, I've... I've got issues with... Deep Rising's fun to watch, but as a piece of filmmaking, it's fucking lazy. Y- yeah, it is because of... It's At least completely with this one, utterly, actually try. Yeah, it's completely and utterly reliant on CGI in order to create these monsters when it doesn't need CGI at all times and it actually looks really kind of cheap looking back at it yeah, now. Although the there cinematography are, looks like a TV movie. A couple well. of 
great moments in there. Yeah. For instance, the, I remember one part where they shoot open one of the tentacle stomachs and a guy falls out of it half digested. Yeah, I, yeah. and that's that's the pinnacle moment for yeah. that film. That looks fantastic. But even that is not as good as anything that's in Virus special no. effects wise. No, because these mechanical nightmares look fantastic. Yeah, it has a very strong body horror element. That the whole idea of it fusing all these bits of organic body parts onto these metal skeletons and having bits and pieces here and there and yeah you're never quite sure what's mechanical and what's not and whether it's just skin under the surface or whether it's it's so intricate and such a hodgepodge of yeah um engineering what they've done to these people's bodies it's it's quite horrific and they're all different parts from different people they're yeah, very much a, frankenstein monsters yeah. It does look so cool, and that's the the part of the film that really spoke to 13-year-old Gareth sat down watching it. I loved all that part of the film. And again, there's some really great ideas under the surface, but unfortunately, emphasis is completely off. Like we were talking about before about the character of uh, Nadia, uh, who's the, uh, the Russian survivor. She's the only one that's left on board this ship when they get there. And there's a whole little, like, subplot involving um, Alexei, who's her husband, yes. who had been transformed into this cyborg He's the first guy. cyborg we see, isn't he? Yeah, it? and we get a little inkling of that, because there's a nice little close-up of his hand that's still got his wedding ring on. But that's it. Yeah. There's a whole other story there that you could explore. That's yeah. just not explored. And she's essentially the newt of this story as well. Yeah. Going back to that aliens homage she is our new character that has been surviving on this abandoned ship for god knows how long with all of these monsters surrounding her yeah i mean you can't get away from the fact that the film does have quite a few nods towards james cameron's aliens the thing that it gets wrong and it's one of those things where it bows to convention is that when it got to a certain point in the film i was writing that this character should live yeah, and this character should live, but it bows to convention in that it lets the the couple live. Yeah, when really it should have been her that survives. It would have been interesting to have two women survive. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah, but it had to be. It kind of had to be a man and a woman. The power a, couple. Yeah, the power yeah. couple. Even though it's kind of instigated that there's some sort of romance there, but there's absolutely no chemistry or anything really written about that. No, there's no chemistry in the scripts and there's no chemistry in the performance as no. well. Because, one, they're not given enough screen time together. Yeah. So there's nothing there. No. Um, William Baldwin's character does speak about Jamie Lee Curtis every now and again in a very kind of childish, you know, do you fancy her kind of way. Yeah. But there's nothing really going on there whatsoever. No, and I don't understand why they even had that because they've um, defeminized Jamie Lee Curtis so much that it doesn't make any sense. What doesn't make any about. sense anyway because her part on the ship is a very functional part, and she's yeah. made to look like that. Yeah, yeah. But to add this other element to it doesn't make any sense about you how, how banging hot she looks yeah. and and jamie lee curtis is somebody that has the potential to look banging hot but let's in say, this case they've the not made a look like true that. lies for instance but in this case yeah they've done the opposite they are purposely stripped her of that yeah and they make her look tired and weathered and yeah she's looks like that because of the job that she's doing it does feel like somebody in wardrobe has decided her character is someone completely different than it is in the script and i wish they would have gone with the wardrobe people because that would have been more interesting the main characters don't have any characters i mean i couldn't tell you anything about them at all no other than one's called stevie and the other one's called foster and that's literally about it and one one is a navigator and the other one's there's one called richie as well richie yeah yeah richie's the one that goes crazy and then turns up at the end with a rocket launcher out of nowhere yeah well that's the thing this is how little thought's been put into the characters in the script there's all these guys on the boat, some of them you don't know what they're actually there on the boat for. No. And then you get these things where they're about to do a certain thing and then they mention that they're an expert in something. So yeah. you get Richie, who ends up getting involved in all the weapons at the end. And then there's like an off-the-cuff remark where he's literally talking to himself saying, yeah, I'm a weapons expert. <laughs> I can do this. And it's like... You're a weapons expert? Why where, are you on this did, boat? Where did that come from? And yeah, why yeah. are you on the boat to do this job? <laughs> yeah, why are you on just this American tugboat when you're a weapons expert? Yeah. That's another thing that's not really explained. Uh, you're never quite sure what this cargo is that they're carrying and that they lost and why everyone's in on it. 
because yeah. the, the whole crew is a real hodgepodge of people because if you're doing that kind of thing with like it felt like they were smuggling something but yeah some of these characters are quite clean cut but then the other ones were looked really shady yeah jamie lee curtis's character has to be persuaded even into turning this russian vessel into a salvage op and yet we are led to believe that she is one of these people that are smuggling something yeah. it, it, she'd it, even work with donald sutherland's exactly, character yeah it doesn't make much sense i do love Captain the line yeah. <laughs> donald sutherland has got this amazing like kind of thick irish accent going on throughout the entire film it's so camp is it <laughs> it's definitely irish isn't it well, it's like an irish american accent yeah. really but it's like i was not gonna let anyone get my salvage <laughs> He also gives a great line when he reveals why this cargo is so important. They ask him, like, why is this cargo so important to you? And he goes, because it's mine. <laughs> and it's uninsured. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. That's his justification. It's like, okay, so we're, we're supposed to care about it. It would have been good if he like, said something about it, like it was Nazi gold. But no, just because it's yeah. his and it's uninsured. <laughs> I mean, I think his character ends up being the stupidest character in the film. Yeah. You get to the certain point where everyone can see all this stuff that's happening, and he's still the only one that's not convinced. Yeah. He's just still the one that goes, ah, it's all bullshit, even though there's this cyborg guy trying to get me. Yeah, and he does lose his mind again, as, as well, well as another character about halfway through, but... I think at the start of the film, it's designed to illustrate that he's kind of already lost his mind. Yeah, because he's got a gun in his mouth Yeah, he tries point. to shoot himself because he yeah. loses the cargo. It's very uncomfortable. It becomes very unhinged. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very upsetting watching Donald Sutherland like that. Yeah. It's like, no, Donald, don't do it. We love you. <laughs> I do like, I mean, I, I don't like um, how, how all these characters do just disappear at some points and then reappear at other points. Yeah. And it just seems to happen all the way through especially it's like, it's such who a little are we supposed boat? to focus on yeah <laughs> i honestly just wish the film was about nadia yeah it should absolutely. have been about nadia and yeah you could have had these people from this tugboat coming aboard and her coming into contact with them but it should have really been her story she was the most interesting character there yeah and she was the most resourceful and yeah. knew what she was actually doing it was just a bit disappointing really considering yeah. like yeah she was the strongest character on the boat apart from donald sutherland for different reasons but um <laughs> but he's just a joy to watch he in this is, film. he just hammered it up as much yeah. as he possibly can he kind of he's the only one that really knows what he's in yeah and he sort of plays it to the hilt whereas some of the other characters they just feel like they're in a serious film yeah they're playing it too straight-faced and I think the film does play it too straight-faced at times mm. with a few of the characters. It does think it's a legitimate techno-thriller at times, when, honestly, I think it could have done with some of the self-aware campiness just to kind of let the audience into the fact that the director knew what kind of film he was making as well. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those films that falls between two stools. It's neither seriously good or so bad it's good let's play yeah. this up sort of thing it sits between the two and it's i think that's why it's probably comes off worse for audiences than it actually should do because yeah if it's going to be played straight then the script needs to be there whereas if it's if the script is what they've got they've got to just play with it and yeah have exactly fun with have it, but, fun yeah but they don't have enough fun with it there's a couple of moments here and there where it's played like that but everyone's just a little bit too po-faced to to let that happen yeah okay so Though this film does have flaws in regards to the script and the story, I mean, let's talk about where its strengths are now. I mean, for me, the two main strengths are in the special effects yes, and the art direction. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, I think those two aspects are done particularly well. And I mean, even the cinematography is not half bad for a film like this anyway. I mean, there's, there's quite a lot of films like this, like we were talking about Deep Rising before, which do look like TV movies, and this yeah. does look a cut above that. Oh, um, certainly, yeah. It does get the atmospherics of it right. So, yeah, it really is that they've gone on and made a an A-list film, but with a B-movie script. Yeah, I think that's the problem, is that John Bruno's not Ridley Scott, so he can't elevate this kind of B-movie script to A-list status. Yeah. So it's still a B-movie when all is said and done. Hmm. But it does have this kind of James Cameron, steely, cold look about it. Yeah. Which, obviously, with all these kind of Cameron-type, 
crew members, <laughs> mm. you know, Cameron's old crew in the mix here. Of course, you're going to get that look. And it is executed quite well in the cinematography in that way. I'd say one thing that does bother me when I watched it back again, or at least two things in regards yeah. to the filmmaking strictly, are the music, which just plays on Bishop's Countdown over yeah. and over again. <laughs> And some of the editing during conversations, because there were these unnatural gaps between people speaking to each other. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I have this example that I'm going to reenact now. <laughs> but this, this is just to provide the audience with an idea of just how long the gaps are between people speaking to each other. So, this was a scene in which Donald Sutherland and uh, William Baldwin are talking to each other. And William Baldwin says, You ever put a gun in my face again? Pause. And what? You figure it out. Yeah. That's how, it, and it's like, it was just cringy. You know, it, it kept to, like, cut to a couple of reaction shots in between. Yeah, it's mainly just of Donald Sutherland <laughs> smiling. Yeah. And I think they're pretty much just all outtakes of him going, what am I in? What am I in? <laughs> yeah. I'd say probably about a whole quarter of the footage in this film is just Donald Sutherland smiling. Yeah. <laughs> in a kind of uh, bemused fashion, like, yeah. <laughs> he's stoned yeah he's yeah, definitely he's stoned definitely yeah but other than that those are things i had issues with the music although it does play on bishop's countdown it's not all that terrible it's, yeah, it's just not that, offensive it doesn't add anything it's, no. it's a generic score yeah it's not offensive again it's neither good nor bad it's not one of those scores that hits you in the face because it's so shit but it's not great either i think i only even mention it just because i noticed bishop's countdown playing yeah, a couple of yeah, times yeah. and i was like oh this is aliens again and imagine it might be one of those temp music problems again yeah. where they've used the aliens score as the temp music and he's had to basically do the same thing i mean is it really the fault of the composer because so many scores in the 90s were riffing on james horner's alien score so yeah. many of these kind of action sci-fi films you hear it all the time yeah. and it was like the number one piece of trailer music as well for the longest time even as late as like 2005 2006 i remember a couple of trailers you could still hear bishop's countdown in but um in terms of the art direction i really liked how the um the ship was made to look and i liked when the they were going around the ship at the start and how distressed it looked and you could see all the bullet holes in there and how they made it all yeah look. that was great I thought that was all really nice. Well, it's a set that tells a story, isn't yeah. it? Much like Hadley's Hope, they're walking about it and you're seeing all these marks of past battles and you want to know what the hell's happened here. Mm. The film probably shows its cards a little too soon <laughs> yeah. in terms of what's actually happened, but I do like a set that tells a story in that way that has a history. There's a really odd moment <laughs> when they shut on the power yeah and it shows you everything it, and it it's just like no don't show me that the bad guy straight away don't show me that <laughs> that's that for us to discover yeah don't show us that now from then on it was just only a matter of time to yeah you were just counting down the minutes to when they found that area yeah uh, i mean that, whereas that's, them just finding the area organically would have been much more frightening yeah that's something that paul ws anderson even does with alien vs predator is people that are trying to copy that james cameron style but not quite knowing what to do with it and mm. not being comfortable with their own abilities that they can hold the audience's attention for long enough without showing the big bad and it's a shame that it does let that go so soon because it could rack up the tension mm. even by just letting the characters hear a scream because that that unearthly scream that it keeps doing that shrill shriek mm. is actually quite cool yeah and that by itself is quite distressing yeah that they could have, have just much, used that much more harrowing to have that yeah and not show the machine shop going because <laughs> i think the other thing is well to mention like this is basically killer meccano the movie <laughs> it really is but also there was another thing that reminded me of was um robot wars Oh, yeah. It totally. reminded me totally of that because that was around about this time as well, wasn't it? Robot yeah. Wars. I would love to hear a commentary to so Virus by Craig Charles. <laughs> <laughs> I would pay for that to happen. Yeah. But yeah, it does have that element to it. It's because it's got that kind of homemade look about it. I do love the villains in this film. They look great. They look gruey, especially when they have the autopsy scene that's like something very much out of the thing. Mm. When they have Alexi on the table. Yeah. And you can see, even in the light, because they 
light it quite harshly. Yeah, it looks and it great. still looks great. It looks actually more horrific in the light because it's like, wow, that looks really real. Yeah, it's awful actually to look at. <laughs> mm, and there are actually layers to these yeah. beasties as well because we've realized that Lexi's not quite as dead as we think he is. Mm. And um, oh, this kind of like skull thing comes out of it in a very the thing moment. But yeah, it looks so gross. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And that's the part that works best. And it's one of those things where it really demonstrates that this John Bruno is great at what he does Yeah, in the effects area. And that's kind of what he should stick to. Yeah, definitely. And it does have some virtues in that you do have a director that really understands special effects and what they can do and what they can't do. Mm-hmm. So it's shot really well. Yeah. And he knows exactly what to show, what not to show, and how to show it. Yeah. Because there was no moment in the film where I thought, oh, that's a bad special effect, or that looks a bit shit. Pretty much all of it looked great, so I couldn't really fault it for a special effects film of the 90s. I thought it was definitely at the top of the pile in that sense. Yeah, and it's quite strange as well when you think of john bruno being behind this film because his background in special effects is actually in cgi if i'm not mistaken Mm. and so you would expect virus to have a real over reliance on cgi effects and yet Mm. it doesn't whatsoever no i'd say about a good 80 percent of it is practical mechanical effects and model work he clearly knows what the limitations of computer graphics are and what at that audiences time, yeah. want to see yeah especially at that time and what audiences want to see from horror films which is real things on set that they can be afraid of mm. and he does come across as somebody that loves the work of rob Bottin mm. because there's definitely that element to the special effects on show steve yeah <laughs> steve he says steve a lot in this film steve <laughs> It just reminded me of Cloud with a Chance of Meatballs. Yeah. So Steve! Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but a horrific version of that. Oh, could you imagine it? Steve! Could you imagine if it was him? <laughs> <laughs> I can kind of see what they were going for with that because you they were trying to demonstrate that even though this guy's been turned into this like cyborg creature, he still has like residual memories of yeah. things. But they needed to do maybe something a little bit more than him just saying Steve. Over and over again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Steve. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great idea. It's a great concept. And mm. yeah, it goes nowhere, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, we have to ask the question, is there anything human about these characters? Because even with Donald Sutherland's character, at one point he hands himself over to the Goliath, yeah. as it's called, which is the big bad, the big virus, mm. your big monster. And he gets turned into this cyborg zombie thing as well Mm. and when he returns he says one line which makes you think oh there is something about him that's still the captain you don't even recognize me yeah that's it yeah (laughs) and it's not wrong i've got metal feet (laughs) but unfortunately it just kind of doesn't go anywhere with that it's an really interesting avenue well there there is a story behind that isn't there i imagine there's more on the page than actually is in the film yeah i imagine it would have gone much further but (laughs) Do you want to tell us a little bit about yeah, that story? Yeah, this is, um, I think this is a part of the film that's been slightly hampered by the actor. Yes. As such, because the, um, the makeup for Donald Sutherland when he's converted into this cyborg creature is really good, but it took six hours to apply. Yeah. So he gave the filmmakers an ultimatum that he would be applied with all this makeup, but only once. So they literally had a day to film all of his shots as this cyborg creature, which I'd imagine would completely curtail any kind of climax which he would have had, because I'd imagine it'd be one of those things where in the script, this character is there all the way until the end. Yeah. And he's battling with them. Like with almost the like a, the Terminator type yeah. figure. But because Donald Sutherland didn't want to be made up all the time, they literally had one time. So he turns up in this cyborg thing and they kill him immediately. Yeah, he must have. He has those two lines... And then they kill him. Yeah. And then the next time you see him, he's just like a burnt model version of him. Yeah, which does look good. It looks great. It looks great. But but that should have been for yeah. the end of the film. Definitely. <laughs> Not like 20 minutes before the end. Yeah. It is unfortunate because when he does walk out of the shadows, he, he does, again, he looks great. Yeah. And he's, it, he's got this chest of this Russian crew member. Yeah, and it's just his head that's been it's, placed on yeah. this uh, thing. Because there's a nice foreshadowing bit where he's asking, oh, look, there's that body with no head on it. What's that for? Yeah. And it's like, no, that's for you. 
sort of thing. And um, yeah, it's actually like kind of scary. It's, yeah. it's really uh, yeah. it's horrible. I did kind of like all that part where he'd become so unhinged that he was just willing to hand himself over to this machine creature. Yeah. And he wasn't even that bothered about it. No. It's weird because he's talking about Woods. I was like, oh, Woods, I've been with that guy for 25 years and his brain's being pulled out of his skull. Yeah. He has he literally doesn't blink an eye and that was kind of quite creepy and eerie that he'd be so unhinged that he would be nonplussed by that yeah it's uh, it's an, another wasted opportunity yeah. unfortunately but yeah. like we say it's probably because of the act and not because of the script and mm. um, talking about woods for a second because this is a, woods is actually played by marshall bell yeah who is an actor that i really like everybody yeah. knows him as uh quarto from total recall or at yeah. least the man who houses quarto and um he's also in starship troopers in a great turn in a very similar kind of role because yeah in virus he's the butt of many jokes and everybody's kind of animosity yeah he's a literal punch bag yeah and he <laughs> yeah he literally <laughs> is a punch bag he dies horribly he gets punched through the stomach and all his guts fall out yeah um, it looks <laughs> fantastic great. but he plays pretty much the same role in starship troopers yeah. as well he turns up in starship troopers for five minutes and then a bug falls on him and he dies yeah it's great also another person in this film cliff curtis actually has the honor of being in both deep rising and virus what an honor yeah he so he was really typecast at this point yeah. in his career he was typecast as the man lost at sea battling monsters i mean have you ever heard of that typecast before <laughs> maybe he's got one of those agents that just like oh there's another script like this let's do this one i imagine this agent got confused and thought like <laughs> I thought sent him off to this for. Oh god, I forgot to. He's put written the out two in, forms. Yeah. <laughs> He's written out two forms for what you think. It may just say sci-fi water movie. Yeah, <laughs> sci-fi water monster movie. Untitled sci-fi. Yeah, water. and one's for Paramount and one's for Universal. And he's gone. Oh, Par- oh, oh shit! I've signed you for two films. Yeah. The same thing. <laughs> Sorry, mate. As soon as you finish one, you start another. In fact, he's the only character. Is he the guy that plays Hiko? Yeah, yeah. He's the only character who has any resemblance of any kind of backstory because he's mm. talking about how if he had the money, he would set up this uh, children's education thing. Yeah, he's the only person who you you get the sense is an actual person. Yeah, I like Cliff Curtis. He, he used yeah. to get the short straw in these uh, kind of films back then. Also, his character reappears at the end of the film. At one point in the film, he gets washed out to sea by the storm. And that's the end of him. But then he reappears for a jump scare at the end of the film. The cheapest jump scare I've ever seen. But it's not actually Cliff Curtis. No. They've got somebody who's vaguely of the same ethnicity and just (laughs) painted him to look the same, added a bit of gore to his face, and hopes that nobody would notice, but it's clearly not Cliff Curtis. And it's totally unnecessary. It's probably the worst jump scare or the worst... Oh, it was all the dream yeah. thing I've <laughs> yeah. ever seen. And it's so unnecessary. It's just somebody in the office going, we need a, yeah. we need another scare, guys. We can't just end it here like we've a normal got, film. We've got 89 scares in this film. Yeah. We need to round it up to 90. <laughs> I hate films like this that just end once the action's gone. Fair enough, get out the film as quickly as possible, but don't just get out the film as soon as the thing's blown up. It's the same with Species. Yeah. That film, I really enjoy that film, but it just ends... Yeah, I don't know. And then that's another film with a really cheap jump scare. Yeah. With the baby with a rat. It seems to me that's you couldn't end a film properly back then in the 90s. Everything was looking for that last jump. One last thing about the special effects I do want to mention, I don't think we've got into yet, is just how good the film's big bad looks. It's called The Goliath, and it's essentially Virus's version of the Queen Alien. It's something that's just impossibly huge yeah for the final kind of survivors to face off against and it looks great it's a mix of cgi and animatronics and although there are some limitations with the animatronics in that it can only move so fast and um with so much dexterity within that space yeah it's mainly when it's walking because you can tell it's on a track yeah exactly yeah but um most of the time when it's walking they use the cgi version which for this time in cgi history is pretty fucking good yeah i imagine that's what he's been saving the cgi budget for yeah. again john bruno knows what he's doing with computer graphics you can't really tell when one thing ends and the other one begins you can slightly tell that it's a little bit more mobile no but it doesn't have that weird sheen to it that a lot of cgi at this point had all the weird motion blurring and and crap yeah, that yeah you get. exactly yeah but no it was really well done actually 
Yeah, he keeps it in the dark just enough as well. You get a sense of how it moves and, and where it's going and what it looks like, but it's kind of always too big for the frame. I mean, the advantage of the way they designed it, because it's such a skeletal thing, it's, yeah. it's not got a skin or anything. It's literally just a skeleton. It's not really got any kind of definite form, but it works so well in silhouette because it's just a massive wires and girders and things like yeah. that. It's all like just substructure stuff. And I love how unstoppable it is. Yeah. There's a scene in which Jamie Lee Curtis gets through a door and closes it and locks it and kind of just stops there to have a little bit of a cry for a minute. I'm just screaming at my TV, get up and run. You've just seen it walk through about four different walls. <laughs> Move. <laughs> and of course, it does tumble through that wall as well. Yeah, I love yeah. that it's just completely unstoppable. I wish the film could just expand on that a little bit further. Show us mm. a little bit more of this goliath not in terms of what we see of it just in terms of its relentless pursuit of these individuals do you know what i would have loved as well there's a bit where jamie lee curtis gets knocked out yes there's a certain set piece involving them trying to flood the the ship's hold with fuel and she gets knocked out by this goliath character and the next thing you see of her, she's sort of hung up yeah but what i would have loved is that if she'd been um partially converted in some way oh that would have been great if they'd done a little bit of that. Yeah. I guess, it's, again, it's too dark for for the kind of film they wanted. They I were too, too set on Jamie Lee Curtis being the heroine. But she doesn't make any impact in the film. Again, no. I kept forgetting she was in the film. Yeah. Because it wasn't Jamie Lee Curtis or this character. It was just a person. I can see why she hates it so much. She has been in some shit. Yeah. Right? Jamie Lee Curtis has been in some terrible films. Yeah. And this is the film that she holds up as being the worst film that she's ever been in. <laughs> but I can see why she would say that about this film because she was given nothing to do and does nothing with the film. She is effectively quite terrible in this film. And yeah, I'd actually go to say that she's probably one of the worst things in the film. Yeah. And it's partly because of her performance and it's mostly because of the script yeah so i can see why she would look back on it in this way and not be able to see past that yeah so i can see where her comments come from even though i do think there are a couple of virtues that kind of hold the film up above that piece of shit level that she keeps on referring to it as there's other characters that are in this section that i remember more i remember all the richie stuff a lot more than i yeah. remember all her stuff but wouldn't it have been cool if they did the old swap around? That it was actually Nadia that survived. The new character that actually made it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, our basic set in stone leads were the ones that died. Yeah. And that, that would have been, that, that would have been a great moment. Because she was the character that deserved to survive. Yes, yeah. She'd been through the most. Okay, so I have mentioned it a few times during this entire podcast so far. That Aliens is a clear inspiration for Virus. Mm. And... There are many characters and set pieces that do feel very James Cameron-esque. And I want to ask the question, when does something stop being a homage and start being a rip-off? And where does Virus fall in that whole bracket? Mm. See, what is it for you? Is, is it a homage or is it a rip-off? I think it's a homage. There's nothing in the film that I feel like directly rips off something else. The only thing I can think of is that bit that looks a bit like the thing. Yeah. When the thing rips open. But I I mean there's a couple of things when you see the cyborgs in silhouette that could be Terminator-ish. Yeah. But I felt that the actual concept and the way they went around it and the whole body horrorness of them taking apart these bodies and fusing them with all these mechanical bits. I didn't feel like that was like aliens or Terminator. I didn't feel like that was part of that world either because yeah. terminators although it's about cyborgs i never thought that the cyborg part of terminator was that horrific actually although it was all very clean yeah yeah it whereas is. with this it's not clean at all it's quite gruey well it is it's very gruey yeah i don't know i think for me it's less about the way that the film looks because it i mean it does have that kind of james cameron cold steeliness to the mm. cinematography but actually the villains and the design of the the kind of creatures are more towards Paul Verhoeven and John Carpenter. Yeah. I mean, even David Cronenberg, like, yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's, kind of that's, style, really. Yeah. But I will say that structurally and in terms of the script, there are probably 
too many archetypes and uh, oh, got, yeah, yeah. like taken from James Cameron. Yeah. Like I say, you've got Nadia, who's essentially our Newt Standin. You've got Jamie Lee Curtis, who's our Lieutenant Ellen Ripley. And you've got the Goliath, which is our Queen Alien. And they're all introduced around about the same moments in the scripts, you know, th- mm. th- as they would be in the film. But I would say, yeah, just it probably just about does enough just in terms of the visual look of these creatures. And in terms of what inspirations and where it takes them from and how it mixes them together, it probably just does enough to earn itself to be called a homage just about than yeah, a ripoff. Because in a weird way, I was thinking about Leviathan more than I was thinking about aliens. Leviathan's another one that I found as a mix between rather than aliens, it's alien and the thing. Yeah. It's got that kind of elements to it. But yeah, it does definitely seem to have a stronger relationship to Leviathan. Yeah, it's like a homage to a ripoff. Yeah. <laughs> I do think all of these films around that time were all in each other's pockets. It's, yeah. it's weird. They were all just uh, nitpicking from here, there, and everywhere yeah. and seeing what they could make out of it. And I think there's nothing wrong in that, really. That's how films are made. Yeah. You go, I really like that element in this film, but they didn't expand upon it as much as I want them to. And then that's what I'm going to do with this film. I just wish probably that the script was just stronger. Yeah. If the script was stronger, it would come across much less as a ripoff to me. Because visually, I think it's got a lot going for it definitely okay so that's virus and i think we're both closer to understanding why it has been forgotten i think we are forming opinions but what did the critics and audiences have to say about this film when it was released maybe that'll bring us a little closer to understanding why so now it's over to the stats and facts and first up i have the rotten tomatoes score and virus n a nine percent rating which is very low (laughs) yeah (laughs) And it has an average score of 3.1 out of 10. This is after 47 reviews. So, no, this film wasn't very well received, let's say. It's almost a poisonous reception. Mm. I think it's definitely on the low side. I could understand if this film was around about 40 to 50%. Yeah, I was going to say that. It definitely feels more along that line. 5 out of 10. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Mm. yeah. And I have a rather scathing little clip from... Roger Ebert, well, from his review. And he says, Deep Rising was one of the worst movies of 1998. Well, Virus is easily the worst. It didn't help that the print I saw was so underlit that often I couldn't hardly see anything on the screen. Was that because the movie was filmed that way or because the projector bulb was dimmed to the extend its lifespan? I don't know, and in a way, I don't care. Because to see this movie more clearly would not be to like it better. <laughs> So Roger Ebert did not like it whatsoever. Yeah. And also, even reading his review all the way through, he speaks about the special effects, but he doesn't really regard them as being any good. But I genuinely think it's because he couldn't see it. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, he says that the end of the film is just a series of faces that are lit at some points and mostly darkness. Mm. so i think unfortunately a lot of this film has been lost on him yeah i don't think it's up his street anyway because roger ebert has always had a thing with movie violence and this film has a lot of movie violence especially yeah. in the, yeah, yeah. the grooviness of its bad guys mm. maybe you should have asked for his money back for yeah. the, from the cinema <laughs> i the think so got bulb going on somewhere there <laughs> i do want to say something before we kind of close on this topic as well I like Deep Rising. I want to say that now. I, I tried to say it before and it kind of got lost, but I like Deep Rising. I do think Virus fares a little better than Deep Rising, but I still really like that film. It's got this kind of Harryhausen-esque type monster movie feel to it, and it's campy in a way that is... Um, it's kind of knowingly campy. I want to say it's knowingly campy, but you never know when it comes to Stephen Sommers. I do like it, but it's definitely the lesser film to Virus. It's firmly the lesser film to Virus. And I find it weird that Roger Ebert considers Virus to be the worst film out of the lot. To put the record straight, I don't like Deep Rising. No, we could have a real conversation about this. I mean, I can see why you would like it, but I don't... I wouldn't watch it again. (laughs) I've I've watched it many times over. Yeah. (laughs) It's not even a guilty pleasure for me. I don't really have guilty pleasures, but... I don't know. I just genuinely really like it. It makes me smile all yeah, the way through. Yeah, it's the time, but I'm not sure I want to go through that pain again. <laughs> it's an enjoyable kind of pain. It's 90 minutes. I'll never get back. <laughs> 
Oh, you love it. <laughs> Unfortunately, there is no review of Virus by Empire Magazine. So, I imagine they did review it, and probably not too fondly. They're in no rush to update it on their I website. They just couldn't be asked. Yeah, so, <laughs> so that's really all I have to say about yeah. the critics. It's uh, clearly been vastly underrated. <laughs> <laughs> Going on to the box office figures, it doesn't get any better either. So Really? Yeah. So... The budget of this film was $75 million Wowza. in 1998 when it was yes. made. Because this film was delayed slightly, wasn't it? So, yeah, it was. So that's quite a hefty budget for this uh, time. When you consider that in the early 90s, when Terminator 2 was made, that was the first $100 million movie. Mm. But it's only, what, eight years later? This is $75 million, So this is a massive budget. Yeah, because, I mean, there's still action films now that get made for, like, $80, $90 million. Yeah, this is probably the equivalent of uh, about 180 now, mm. I'd say, roundabout. It's got to be more than double yeah. what it is there. Yeah. Opening weekend, it made uh, $6 million. Ouch. And uh, overall domestic, it made $14 million. Now, unfortunately, like a lot of films these days where they're saved with the foreign gross, this was not the case for Virus. So overall, in terms of all foreign territories, it made $16.5 million. So the worldwide total came to just over $30 million and a half. So not great. This is a flop. Really not It's great. a big flop. <laughs> and it is a fuck you, it's January movie as well. Yeah. <laughs> it was originally intended to come out in the summer of 1998, but they actually <laughs> pushed it back to January of 1999. graveyard slot for yeah. most films. So to use Red Letter Media's uh, <laughs> coin phrase... Fuck you, it's January! Fuck you, it's January. <laughs> but um, yeah, open against uh, some other classic films. I mean, you've got uh, Varsity Blues... In its first week, Patch Adams in its fourth week, real classic. Yeah, and um, and on a different note, the Thin Red Line in its fourth week. So you couldn't get any different a film. Jesus, that's some mix of films, yeah. really. <laughs> yeah, and you wonder why the Thin Red Line didn't do so well when it came out. Oh, well, look at the competition. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, the audience avoided the film like a winter cold. Yeah. So now that we've discussed the film and gone into the facts and figures, are you any closer to understanding why Virus has been a forgotten movie? Yeah, I'm, I'm much closer. I mean, the main problem with it is that it's neither bad nor good. Yeah. It sits in that limbo area where it's got some great things going on it and some not so great things going on it and it just sits right in the middle, in the, in the middle of the road area. And that's what I generally feel that films that have low Rotten Tomatoes ratings and things like that, a lot of those films are generally like that. Some of these films aren't really bad films, yeah. but they're not really good films either. So you'd sometimes find that films that are much worse than this that have that it's so bad, it's good rating yeah. are actually usually rated much higher and make more money because it's got more entertainment value in that sense. Well, that's why you can't always believe what Rotten Tomatoes tells you. Yeah, I do think that... Rotten Tomatoes does at times lie to us in the way that using this film as an example it's been given a much harsher press really mm. than like you say something that would be kind of more adorably bad mm. would be rated so you're not really getting a sense of what the true quality of this film is through Rotten Tomatoes yeah because the other thing as well that we didn't mention that um, this film has a 4.8 out of 10 rating on IMDb yes so that is a probably a more accurate measure of what the audience reception for this film actually is in retrospect. Yeah. So like I said, it does sit in that weird middle ground. So yeah, 4.8 is probably an appropriate figure for it. Definitely, yeah, I'd say um, so. And yeah, it's, it's neither here nor there. And because there are a lot of the films that came out around the same time that were very similar, it just got lost in the... Um, in the melee and again it's a fuck you it's january film yeah as well and we all know what happens to those kind of films and i think what's happened with this film is the same what's happened to all of these films like deep rising and leviathan is that they're essentially cribbing on better films and if you're not going to offer much more than that then people just refer back to those yeah. films yeah they, they have no reason to actually revisit virus or revisit leviathan because there are better films out there offering better thrills along the same lines. Definitely. It's a real shame because all that great work and the effects yeah. just goes to waste because 
it's not built on something that's um, solid enough. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's worth another look, even mm. just for the special effects, because those special effects deserve love, mm. really do, and uh, they're not mentioned much anymore. No. And uh, yeah, I think people should go back to it. So let's uh, ask the final question: Is this film a best forgotten movie, or is it one of the best of the forgotten? Well, I would say it's best forgotten. Yeah, because there's not enough in the film overall that redeems it as such. But if you do like special effects, I would seek this out and give it a spin because I think you would enjoy it quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot for special effects enthusiasts to uh, enjoy in this film. But I think from uh, a general audience perspective, then no, not really. I'm of the same opinion. I like Virus. There's things that I find to really love about it in terms mm. of the special effects, but as a story and as a film about these characters, there's really not all that much going on. It's no. kind of generic, and even some of the elements are pretty damn awful. So I can't say that it's best of the forgotten. It's certainly best forgotten. Mm. But there is definitely something there, and some elements of this film does deserve love. And for anybody that that's that way inclined towards special effects definitely seek this out give it another go it's not got an incredible production history that's going to change your mind about this film or think that there's oh there's another film that's better in the edit it's just simply got some really amazing special effects in Mm. there that are worth watching it's worth sitting through the bad elements for and again it's not even that bad it's just no it's just middle of the middle of the road yeah i mean like i say there are a couple that just go too far towards bad yeah overall it's not a bad film it's yeah it's not painful to watch no 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 it's a a breezy 90 minutes yeah it's a film that you would describe as being largely inoffensive i'm surprised it's not is it on netflix or one of those ones it's one of those ones that people would just put on yeah i'd say wait for it to come on netflix and give it a go yeah Okay, and that's all we have time for for today's episode of Best Forgotten Movies. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at B4Movies, so please get in touch with your suggestions for future episodes. Join us next week when Andy and I will be watching Kevin Costner sink his career in Mad Max Waterworld. But until then, it's bye from myself and cheerio from Andy. Cheerio. Thanks for listening.